Yes, good evening. It's Thursday, the 23rd of September. And tonight we're going to be previewing Saturday's game at home to Barnsley. Um, it's good to be hosting tonight. Good to be back on the preview show. Let me introduce a usual suspect this season so far. And it's good evening to you, Sean. Good evening. How you doing, mate? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Buoyant after Saturday, I hope. Yeah, yeah we'll soon see, won't we, <laughs> this Saturday. But yeah, good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Tim, good evening, mate. Evening. Unusual for both of us to be on a preview show at all, let alone this season. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's unusual for me to do. I think I've done one, maybe two pre- preview shows ever before tonight. So, uh, yeah, it's good to uh, good to come on for a change. That's great to have you on. Uh, good evening, Jordan. Hope you're well. Good evening, Steve. Um, and tonight's guest is Gentleman Goodall Allen, who's from the Red All Over podcast for Barnsley. Uh, so it's a very good evening to you, Alan. How are you doing? Very well, gentlemen. Evening. Good evening. How are you doing? Are you, are you coming on Saturday? I am. I had a late decision. Joe asked me, am I coming? And he had lads off at Red All Over Show. So I said, yeah, oh, I'll come. I got a ticket on Saturday. Sorry, Sunday. And then Joe says, oh, I ain't got a room in car for you. I said, I thought he asked us if you wanted to come. So then I had to sort out and get a late ticket on the East Dean Red Scots, leaving at nine o'clock on Saturday morning. Oh, hopefully it's a safe travel for you. Um, where do we go? Yeah, did you want to speak just quickly, just a quick about your Red All Over podcast, just a bit about what you do each week, etc. Yeah, it's uh, good banter from uh, Joe, the host, uh, Josh Atherton and uh, Andy Simcox and I, uh, two old lads who went to school together and being long-time tights and the two younger end. Uh, we put two shows on a week. And then Joe just started doing uh, a post-match uh, podcast as well. We're getting fans on a. Uh, it used to be on Dern FM. We used to be on radio station before coming on uh, YouTube. Uh, but Dern FM, Joe got made redundant, and the radio station, which was local to ourselves, was taken over by Bear Media, which is now the greatest hits radio station. So that's how we we morphed into this uh, Red Oliver show on YouTube. Fantastic. Yeah. It's had its successes, hasn't it? A quite popular show. Um, I'm pleased now, anyway, Alan, because normally I'm the oldest one on. So uh, you can, <laughs> I think you can take that uh, that title tonight. So, uh... <laughs> and behind me is a painting by Ben Mosley, which I had commissioned of Dad and I. If you can see that, sorry, if you can see that there, uh, that was Dad and I in the concourse uh, when we were in apprenticeship last game against Man United. God bless him, and Dad passed away in 2008. I'm an only one, so that's a great memory for me. Oh, Talking talk of memories, just I, I, I know uh, uh, that um, uh, Tom just sort of touched on it before, but I was telling the lads just before you came on, I wanted to keep it for the show, but I reckon I was at one of your most memorable games. Um, not and Blackpool weren't playing either, so um, uh, I, I don't know. Where, I don't know where, which ones you'd play somewhere near the top, but uh, 1982. Go on then. Um, Seventeen thousand Barnsley fans attending an away game at Liverpool in the quarterfinals of the League Cup. Right, and uh, I was at Anfield that night, January nineteen eighty-two, so nearly forty years ago. Um, my dad was a bit of a Liverpool fan, so I went along with him, and um, that's one of the most tremendous away uh, away supports I think I've. Ever, I don't know if you were there, but I've ever seen it was uh, it was incredible. Last time I was at Anfield was uh, the year Dad died in 2008. His last ever away game was the FA Cup one. Uh, I think it was March when we beat Liverpool uh, at Anfield, a Brian Howard last-minute winner. So what what a year 
to 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 go to his last away game. God rest yeah. his soul. Just amazing that atmosphere, and to have that outside your yeah, Anfield was just just amazing. So we've got something in common because we managed to beat Liverpool as well in our year in the Premier League. So. Uh... It's a bit, bit of a, 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 quite unusual, isn't it? Because not many teams go there and win. So uh, it's uh, we, we've got fantastic memories of that as well. Memories are great. Footballs are brilliant. It fetches everybody together. Uh, and th- thanks to my dad for taking me as a five-year-old to follow Barnsley uh, in what 1959-60 season. Wow, that's amazing. I was going to say the 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 day, the day we beat Liverpool, or just seeing um, you know on the scoreboard, we actually went to Anfield, and one was the day I finally realised we were actually in the Premier League, and it all came a bit real that day. Like to say we beat Liverpool as well, so that was one of my most memorable games. Um, we're going to touch upon Alan last season just very quickly um, with your manager obviously leaving at the end of the season. He accumulated. I think it was uh, one about 1.84 points per game. He had a fantastic season. Uh, lots of positives. Um, lots of positive last season to remember. Obviously, ended a bit bitter, but obviously it was a bit of sweet overall with how you performed and where you got. Just wanted to touch upon really what was the feeling um, around the the club last season because it was such a difficult season, just missing out in the playoffs and obviously then the manager leaving. How was the overriding feeling come the end of the season after such a successful campaign? Well, it was a tough start under. We had Jaro Struber first. Uh, Ismail didn't take over while October. Uh, so we were struggling for points and uh, not playing playing that well. And Struber left uh, to go to uh, New York Red Bulls. And then uh, they recruited pretty, pretty quickly to get Valerian Ismail in. Uh, we'd not heard of him, uh, no idea. Uh, talking about playing this vertical football. Uh, high press, and we we weren't in Oakville. What we do to pandemic? We were watching it all on iFollow, all season ticket holders who who, who Barnsley. We were privy to getting in uh, most of the matches and watching on iFollow, and and the players bought into it. And in January window, we thought we we're going to lose Alex Moore. Alex Moore stayed, and look where we went. We we went on a superb winning run, picked up loads of points, got into the playoffs. Uh, lucky, lucky enough, myself, Kate, uh, my wife, and and Josh got in to the ballot to see the Swansea first semi-final at Oakwell, and that was just amazing. Just to get back inside the football stadium uh, was immense. Uh, I think we'd only got about three and a half, four thousand in, uh, and we lost one nil. And then we went to, to Swansea uh, for the second leg, and we drew one apiece. Although we didn't get into the playoff uh, final, I was quite happy that we scored a goal at Swansea, which we don't really do well at Swansea, <laughs> and uh, we can live on scoring a goal <laughs> against Swansea City. Yeah, just Josh has just added a comment, say, from staying up on the last day, previous season to playoffs, um, the next must have been pretty mad. You, you couldn't dream that, could you? You couldn't, you couldn't dream that. And luckily enough, yeah, we're down to Wigan and losing the points, that we managed to stay uh, in the championship. Uh, we made the most of it and uh, we went forward, built on it and some of the results were, were just unbelievable what we had and uh, then uh, as, I, as I say, he, he left to go to West Brom and uh, took Alex Moore with, with him I said to join our show uh, Ismail's going to take Alex Moore because that when you saw it on the pitch and they were all so close together, I mean that was certain, a certainty we're going to go to uh, the baggies yeah, that was going to be my next question. Actually, your, your transfer business—you've only brought in sort of four, four players, but you've lost 
I would say Connor Chaplin's key, but Moat was definitely key and a pivotal part of your your side last season. So are you, are you overall happy with your, your transfer incomings? Um, obviously losing Moat was probably expected, as you've said, but are you happy with who you've brought in so far? Well, we know where we're going to keep DK. And that, that, I think that sort of player we're missing. Uh, we haven't got that power pace up front to take on uh, a back four, uh, which the other week, uh, what it uh, against Blackburn, uh, we got Fraser balls over the top, and they ain't got pace, and that's what we're lacking somebody to to punish defences. Uh, but yeah, very happy with our transfer window. Uh, we've got uh, Remy Vita. He might see him on on, on Saturday. Uh, got him on loan at the last minute uh, from Bayern Munich at uh, left wing back. Uh, Obi Lowry. Uh, he's maybe in squad. He he came in and probably struggling for fitness. Uh, Josh Benson uh, from uh, Burnley, Burnley. and he's been out for COVID in the last few games, but he's back for Saturday. So hopefully, uh, and some players as well we've got uh, injured, they're coming back. So Valerian is not playing. Uh, Marcus Shop's going to have a bigger squad to pick from to play against yourselves. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to mention there, obviously you said about Marcus Schopp um, and you've kind of kept recruiting managers from the Austrian Bundesliga. Um, how do you think he differs in style compared to Ishmael this season? He's playing more more possession football. We're not playing long balls. We're not playing the vertical high press. We're still high pressing, but we're playing ball through through teams. Uh, but at the moment, it, it's been difficult because we've been playing players out of position due to the fact that we've got so many injured players who, who aren't fit and ready to go. Uh, but as we said on our show, uh, give him 10 games to see how, how, how we go because it's a big change for most of the squad who were there last season to change to a new style in a championship, which you can't really uh, <laughs> wait to see what's going to happen. Have you got to be up, up and running? You've drawn a lot, actually, yeah. haven't you? I noticed in the um, looking at the After table. After eight games, we've won one, lost two, uh, and drawn five. Uh, yeah, drawn five, uh, and only scored five goals, uh, conceded eight, so minus three goal difference. Um, we're only above yourselves on the goal difference. I think you're minus five, we're minus three. <laughs> I, I you won two. Oh yeah. I was going to say, with um, you obviously lost the manager, you lost the CEO as well, um, Dame Murphy to Knott's Forest. Um, and obviously, he's kind of gone to Knott's Forest now, and I expected him to kind of bring out an exotic appointment. He's appointed Steve Cooper anyway. Um, and you brought in someone from the City Group to replace him. So is it the sort of same structure in the background in terms of the philosophy of the club and the long-term philosophy that you want him to play this season, or is it slightly different? Possibly, but uh, I'll, I'll know more next Tuesday. Uh, going to the garrison in Barnsley, we've got an evening with our CEO, so then we can ask questions and uh, find out what uh, the plans are and where we're going as a football club. Uh, but you've got one of our uh, old CEOs, haven't you? You've got uh, Ben Mansford. Yeah. yeah, we're just about to ask that, actually, it's about uh, Ben Mansford, because obviously he was with yourselves for three years, between 2013 and 2016, so... What were your sort of fans' thoughts on Ben's time there and was he a success? Uh, I think most fans liked him because he was open. I don't know if, what he's like with you as fans. 
we f- we felt that he were, were part of us and wanted to to be part of uh, uh, the football club because he he, he walked uh, with the fans uh, to Bradford City uh, for for a charity walk and bless Ben he ended up he walked there and ended up in uh, I think Bradford Infirmary. <laughs> <laughs> Best thing about that day, we we, we went Neil, Kate, and I in car and parked up. And over the top of this street, they're all Bradford fans saying to everybody, "Oh, congratulations for walking!" And I'm just walking. And he shook me hand and says, uh, "Congratulations on on walking." I says, "I've only come from car down there." I was going to say, Tim, with um, I don't know what your thoughts are so far. Obviously, you were part of helping the interim board when they came in. I don't know how many dealings or what your thoughts are initially of Ben Mansford's time at the club so far. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, um, I, I, his arrival sort of coincided with my departure. So um, I haven't had a lot of dealings with him. Spoke to him on a few occasions. It's interesting, just talking about the openness, I, I think he's done a, an interview with uh, Up the Mighty Pool, hasn't he, which has been released today, which I've not had a chance to watch yet. So I'll look forward to that. But I was going to say to Alan, actually, I, I think from the outside looking, I don't know whether Barnsley fans perhaps appreciate this, but there's a lot of clubs out there that sort of, sort of look up to the way that Barnes had been run over the last few years. Uh, same with Brentford as well. There's been a sort of like, you know, there's a lot of basket cases in the championship as, as, we, as we've seen. And uh, I think you're, you're perhaps seen as uh, one of the clubs that are doing it the right way and doing it in a sustainable way. And I, I know most certainly last year we spoke about if we did achieve what we ultimately did, that we wanted, you know, we expected our club and we wanted our club to sort of follow your lead and follow Brentford's lead rather than, you know the type of situations that we've seen at Derby and and Reading and and Forest and 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 the like who who've just spent ridiculous amounts of money and 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 crippled the clubs. So I think I think Barnes, you know, the, the whole structure at Barnes, whether that started with Ben or whether it's something that's that that was that was predating it. I think we've we've always seen, you know, you've you know you've held your own because a lot of good big clubs in there, isn't there? You've held their own and 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 taken taken the game to them as well, which is all credit to you. And credit to us as well, uh, the fact that what we did to this this window of January, I think we're one of fewer clubs uh, who have actually fetched players in, uh, which says a lot to where we, we've come from and where we're at now. Because a lot of clubs in the championships not brought a lot of players in, have they? It's been, been a quite January window for most clubs. Yeah, I think uh, most clubs. Not January, sorry. A summer window. Summer window I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm forward to summer window. Yeah, a lot of clubs can't afford it just due to what we've recently gone through and, you know, players cost that, that clubs want in the championship, as we all know, unless you buy sort of budget players or, or sort of high standard League One players, as even Blackpool found out in the recent window, that it's not easy to get them at all times. And if you want a decent championship player, you're going to have to spend five million onwards and clubs just can't afford to do that. So they kind of have to stick with what they've got and trust the youth a little bit more. It is, and we've got a good academy at Valsey as well. Uh, Jasper Moon's uh, come through now and uh, cementing a place in the first-team first, first team squad. He got the man a match on uh, Saturday against Blackburn and, and he can either play defence in the back three or in midfield. Uh, and when I took early time and went to watch the under-21s, 23s and I've seen his development. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're all coming through, these young lads. Like like we said, we we John Stones. John Stones were on, one of ours from our academy, and uh, look at uh, where John's gone to now and got himself this uh, big contract now. What's lost him a lifetime at uh, Man City, hasn't he? 
not done too badly. <laughs> yeah, just about. I was going to say, um, you actually have the youngest average age in the division in your squad at 23.3 years of age. So do you think perhaps, because even though you've obviously saying that you've got players coming through the academy, you're supplementing them with players from other leagues, quite obscure leagues at times that, pe- that clubs don't tend to scout in or look into. Do you think you've really sort of been able to work with that and have the young having these young players come in and then develop and move on do you think that's probably the right strategy for yourselves and do you think other teams should follow it as well i think it is because because you're getting these young lads coming in and training with your first team squad uh i know they're not probably going to come and play uh championship football but to be around that uh and and, and play with, with likes of helic uh who's now a polish international uh it, it's got to be good for a football club and as you say our sustainability is is born upon the model what was uh, set by uh, a previous chairman who sold to this consortium, Patrick Crine. Um, obviously, when you, we were talking about the young squad there as well, obviously this so far this season, it's kind of, as you said, you probably need 10 or so games to, to allow it to sort of bed in this season with your playing style. Um, but despite having the lowest chance creation stats in the, the division, you're actually one of the highest teams in terms of passes into the final third. So it's it, you're getting in the right areas. You're just lacking that final cutting edge at the end to be able to put the chances away. So do you think you're quite close to it all sort of coming together and you start to pick up results? Uh, as I said on our show, that with eight players out, it's a big ask. But once we get all those uh, squad back and Marcus Shop can select an 11, uh, which we can go and uh, perform on the pitch and try and score his goals. Because Cole is finding it hard at the moment. He's, he's changed a uh, skipper now, isn't he? He got a great great free, free kick at uh, Stoke the other week uh, to get a point. Uh, but he's not scoring much from open play, and that's his problem, open play. So we've got to get it right, and we've got to be more clinical, as you say, in final third. So uh, I'm looking at some changes, hopefully, this weekend uh, against yourself. So... Uh, is it still Bloomfield Road? It is, yeah. We j- we've touched upon it already, so we'll quickly just delve into your season so far. Obviously, you sit just a place above Blackpool, on, as you've said, on goal difference, um, respectively. But it's difficult for me to sort of look from the outside in without judging the season a bit similar to ours. Obviously, you've only, as you said, you've only won one, but you've drawn five, uh, losing sort of le- less than us as well. So, your draws, you've had the home game to Birmingham, which I watched the extended highlights of. I don't know how Birmingham have not scored at least two or three that game, but you've also gone to QPR and got a draw, which not many teams are going to do this season. So with those players out, um, you know, and the new manager settling in, etc., are you happy with how your season started or are you a bit annoyed at the way you've come from last season to going into this season? I think a lot of fans will be frustrated, the fact that they expect this to kick on. It's always going to be difficult when you lose the players we have done and get a new coaching and adapt a new style. Uh, For me, uh, we're better than what we were uh, last season in in this this period. We'd only took, I think, one point in about five or six games. So we're a lot better than what we were last season. Uh, But it's uh, the fact that against uh, Coventry at home, we won 1-0. How we won that, we, we rode as luck. Uh, we should have beat QPR at QPR. We were 2-0 up. And then uh, everybody were saying about Marcus Shop, he changed it, uh, went defensive and took his midfielders off and, and put Upper Harm on and, uh, uh, what it now, uh, Jasmine Moon, I think. Uh, and then that allowed QPR to come at us. You can't allow QPR to come at you. You've got to keep up the, the tempo. And I think that were two points lost at QPR. 
Yeah, you started excellent in that game as well. That was the other game I watched. Best football we played all season. Yeah, you started it exceptionally well. And, you know, I knew the results obviously was watching the highlights, but I think you said you made two defensive substitutions and changed the formation. And they had a LS chair um, score a fantastic goal as well, wasn't it? And a bit late on, they got their their equaliser. So. For, for me, looking outside, the, the results on paper look pretty decent, but I've watched some of the games and, like I said, some of the games you've been kicking yourself, you haven't won, but also you've looked, walked away from games quite lucky to draw. So, in my opinion, you know, from an outsider, I would say your season's been okay, a bit like Blackpool's has. We've, we've been left frustrated, but also, you know, we've walked away from games with, with good wins as well. So, um, I think Saturday's going to be a very interesting game. Um, looking forward, looking forward to it. I mean, last time we we played it at yours, was it 2018? Uh, Cameron McGee scored it. Was it 22nd of December? Uh, we stayed overnight, Kate and I that 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 evening. Went went to see Funny Girls in Blackpool. That was an experience. We'll come on to some um, memorable games, but we do a section called uh, play played for both. Uh, Tim, uh, you've been quiet in the corner. Did you want to kick us off with uh, any that you know of? Well, there's the obvious one, isn't there, which is uh, Kenny Dougal, um, who we signed from you about 18 months ago. It's just, um, I think uh, he broke his leg playing for you, and uh, which perhaps interrupted his career. But how, how did Kenny play for you? He uh, was a fan's favourite, Kenny Dougal, uh, Australian international as well, isn't he? Uh, it was a Friday night evening game at, uh, at Keep Mort at Doncaster, uh, a nil-nil draw. Uh, where he, I think he had a double, double fracture uh, and found it hard, hard his rehabilitation, uh, took its time and he struggled then to get back in into the first team squad uh, and get selected. And I think he only made a few cameo appearances. And I think, I think, did, were he a free agent? Did we let him, let you do a little go? I think he did because we, we signed, we we signed him go. in October. So, uh, yeah, we, we let Kenny go. Yeah, I think the fans were... It was one of those ones. Some fans were saying they really liked him, others understood because of the injury and, and not playing. So um, he's obviously worked out quite well for us so far. Obviously, getting the two goals to get promoted and and having a pivotal part to play all season. He changed our season along with a couple of players last season when we were struggling in League One. So he was an incredible sign and a, and a really good find as well. Um, and as Josh has put, three crowns as well. Um, you've nicked my one, Steve and Chris. I was going to go next uh, with Martin Bullock. Um, what a player. Wasn't the goal against Port Vale? He ran the length of the pitch and just hammered it in the roof of the net. He scored, and he scored, I think, in the LDV golden goal at Huddersfield as well. He scored some really memorable goals. Um, what a quality player. Um, a great winger, great winger, uh, Martin Bullock. Uh, he's now in New Zealand, got his own academy yeah. in New Zealand. He's got a set up in New Zealand, hasn't he? Uh, Sean, you want to go next? You've written down quite a lot. So be I was going to say, I've put down some. I think we've we've had a few like strange players. We've had Nile Ranger, who I didn't realise went on loan to Barnsley. So uh don't know if he <laughs> Lee, 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 said, Lee said the better. Lee said the better. That, that, that I was gonna say with Nile Ranger, we had um he did an interview with Blackpool's YouTube channel, like a big in-depth interview about his career and how he's changed and that he's going to be a different person. And then about four days later, he went AWOL and we never saw him again. I think so. that was the end of that interview. They were in his car, weren't they? Yeah, they were in the interview in his Granger car. He must have just drove off. <laughs> I was about to make a joke about he needs a couple of more chances, doesn't he? But I bet he had a Ranger over. Yeah. 
<laughs> and um, we had Reese Robara as well, who played once for us, and he's ended up retiring from football in 2017 at the age of 25 in order to focus on his fashion brand. So that was a, another strange signing that we had. I think that was peak sort of Riga era where we signed about 50 players on free agents. Just anyone that fancied wasn't, a chance would come. Wasn't this one of them as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah he was. Yeah, I was having a look actually. Um, do, do you remember when uh, Bellacon issued that statement in the in the uh, the the open letter in the press about um, the Oysters about putting football first when they they went mental about it? It was on oh, that yeah. day that Thomas yeah. and also is it Jace, Jason Mellis, Jason, Jacob Mellis, Jacob, not Jason. Uh, Jacob Mellis both signed and it was this was the season um, top where we a pre-season we ended up in the nationals because we only had about five or six players signed on for us and we didn't have a t- even have a team to put out and we went to Forest and I th- I'm sure the football league turned a blind eye because I think we were signing players on on the day of the game uh, it was the coach when it on the on the coach journey down we were sort of getting updates of well we've got nine players now now we've got 10 mm. and we were going to the game thinking we weren't even going to be playing it and then we got to the ground and like we looked at all the new signings. Cabrera was in the was there as well, and all these new signings we brought in, and they were all we were Matt walking Dom, across and like, oh, they're way. going to warm up, yeah. And we were, they were going, to, we were, oh, it's okay, they're going to warm up now. And then they came and walked into the stands and sat with us, and we we're like, well, <laughs> we don't have enough players here. Um, but yeah, I think we had three or four subs on the bench at the end of that yeah. day. Yeah, I think because we, we lost two 0 they, they didn't make too much of a thing of it. I don't think. Yeah, no. Yeah. Stuart Pierce's first game back, wasn't it, as Forest manager? It's a massive, proper good atmosphere that day as well. Yeah. Uh, got a good one here, Marlon Halebird, which is one, Sean, you've written down as well, who obviously legendary in, the, in his first game for the Seasodders. And he, I think he played reasonably well for, for us in the in the Premier League season. Oh, the, the, you'll see a good song year. for Marlon Halebird at Barnsley fans. Marlon, 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 Marlon Halebird, Jason. Jason, 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 Scotland. You see, you see these players, sixty-seven year old, and I can sing with young ones. It's wrong. <laughs> it, it's not got the same ring as the RUR Tory one. I have to admit. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a few here as well. Dan, David Perkins, yeah, uh, Matt Hill. With a question, Dave Perkins. Kate, when Perkins played for us, Kate used to watch him, and he used to keep doing this every time he played. And I don't know if he did it for you, you watched him. He couldn't leave his hair alone while playing football. <laughs> um, um, I remember. Actually, I think the first time I remember seeing him play he was playing for you against us. I can't remember which game it was, but I think because he was small and had such a shock of blonde hair, he really stood out, didn't he? Which I think. Uh, I think I think it sort of drew your attention to him perhaps more than than it might otherwise have done. But I think he, I think he did all right for us. I don't think that's, he was superb. I was I was going to say I think at the time because of how poor the team was, a guy that worked his arse off and had a tiny bit of talent was like the messiah to the fans at that point. It was such a low bar for us in terms of quality that. But when you kind it's of like watched it, play, it was like Neil, I loved Neil Bishop. My <laughs> Xbox gamer tag when I was like 14 was Neil Bishop. And it, I think it still is now. I've just not changed it. So it's <laughs> these sort of players that just work their backside. I was going to say, actually, mem- just before we go on to the memory game thing, um, there was the fa- Paul Lynch's final game. Neil Bishop had to go off and get his top changed. And then Barnsley started attacking down the left-hand side and he hadn't got his new top on yet. And then he started leg trying to leg it onto the pitch without his top on and then he had to get dragged back by the linesman <laughs> because he was trying to run on the pitch to tackle with his top off. Fantastic. Um, there's hey, Brad, we've, said, we've said Brad Potts, have we? Uh, has that been mentioned? No, no it has been mentioned by uh, Stephen. It's also mentioned and, and, yeah, 
Yeah. We like Brad Potts. Brad, Brad uh, he, he made the assist for McGeehan, didn't he? Uh, in 2018, we will beat you 1-0. Uh, and then Brad went to Preston. Yeah, he's never moved. Uh, just down the road, your Derby. They paid quite yeah, a big good. money off for your film. You know, they paid like one and a half million for him, didn't they? Uh, or something in the region of that, Preston. So, um, but he, uh, he sort of played for us during this time when we were sort of, the focus was more on the struggles with the owners than than anything else. So yeah. a lot of us weren't going to games. So you didn't, didn't see players like Brad as much as... He scored a Wembley, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. He did. Really early on. Yeah. I was oh, just going to say before, coming... I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> I remember coming to a league, uh, what it Caribou Cup or a League Cup game at your place when you didn't have many fans in, and we our seats were back uh, right hand side at dugout, uh, and you beat us on it. I think a Tuesday night in a League Cup game. Actually, I remember you, I remember you guys really coming once. Your game, wasn't it? Sorry, yeah. Tim. No, I so said the, 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 the Barnsley fans came, and it was a, it was quality because we we used to be outside um, leafleting the fans, explaining why we weren't going in. And, and apparently the Barnsley fans, I think you brought quite a few fans to one of those games. I think you brought about 3,000. And I think you were policing your own fans to stop them buying stuff in the ground. So, like, if anybody went to the bar to get a drink or a pie, there was, like, the, all everybody on the concourse was booing and hissing them. <laughs> I, thought was, I thought it was a fantastic show of support because, you know, it was, a, it was an extremely difficult time for us. And, um, you know, and there's some low points and, uh, you know, and we seem to get all these games. I think it might have been the FA, an FA Cup match or something that where we played you. I think it might we have been. We have, played, we have played in FA Cup, yeah. I think it was the FA Cup in 17, it'll have been. And and you brought all these fans and we're trying to stop money being spent. And then there's like 3,000 fans going in the, in, in, in the ground. And um, obviously with all that revenue going to them. But it was great to hear that that's what happened, that, you know, that you you literally said, like, and we, we had this mantra, not a penny more, and, and you basically, your guys basically embraced it as a collective. Probably, to be fair, looking back, probably the, the, the best reaction we got of all the teams who came during that period. So, uh, well, fan solidarity is paramount, isn't it, when things yeah. aren't going right? Yeah. And you'd been there before, hadn't you? In, in previously, you'd had, had poor owners in the past. and uh, When we went looked- into uh, administration uh, and all clubs were coming and putting money in our buckets and that. And uh, we, We've had tough times, uh, but now we're moving forward. And uh, we're fetching 3,000 on Saturday uh, to Blackpool. And it's all a, a, a good day out. Well, hopefully it's a good game as well. Uh, talking of good games, uh, Tim, we'll start with you. Uh, I'll put in the comments as well, so please let us know um, your memories against... Barnsley in the past, so memorable games. Yeah, I, I was, I, my overall memories of games against Barnsley is that we seem to lose a lot more than we win. Um, and now whether that's a recent thing, I know we've got the stats, uh, which I think Sean probably give us regards how we've gone on against them. Um, but I think my earliest one is probably 1982. I think we played in the FA Cup third round. And I think you you were a good side then, Barnsley. I, th- I don't know whether Norman Hunter was still your manager, but most certainly it's around that period. Uh, where he had some, um, um, I'm trying to remember your forward's name now, begins with A, what was he called? I'll, I'll, I'll remember it in a minute. With um, A? Uh, yeah, I got from from back from from the early 80s. and um, uh, But you had a great side. I remember you, you used to get really good crowds at Oakwell, didn't you? You know, sort of 20,000 plus on a regular basis. And um, you're a good team to watch. And I remember, I remember us getting 
well, not tanked, but we got beat quite quite convincingly. Um, I think two two or three nil back in eighty two. So that's probably my my first memory. One of the comments uh, from Tom Johnson. Good evening, Tom. Was my one that I added to the script just at the last minute as well. Wins away small, scoring a. I think it was a, a pretty decent volley into the bottom left hand corner and into the stands. He went with the away fans and um, about the seventieth minute, wasn't it? Um, so fantastic memories. It's a decent game that as well. Sean, you've put a few down, but what was yours? Yeah, obviously, the with for me and a lot of people my age, you've had some really good memories at Barnsley. And I think growing up, it's probably the away day we look forward to the most. We always seem to get them around Christmas. So when you're able to go on Boxing Day when when you were younger, that was probably the best away day of the season always. So obviously, Matt Phillips got his hat trick. But for me, I always have the the memories of just complete when we were completely just a basket case of a club and obviously we'd talk about 4,000 to that Matt Phillips game and then every time we played Barnsley the away fans would dwindle and dwindle and dwindle as the club was getting worse and worse and it sort of all come to a tear to a head when Paul Lintz his final game in charge I think I think I went to pretty much every away game that season and we uh, we didn't win one um, from the back end of like January to, to the end of the season and then obviously with the Riga season as well we that was probably when I went the most and that's probably why I, I really can't be bothered going now but um Paul Ince last game of, uh, of Paul Ince's time in charge I think it was about eight defeats in a row at that point um Paul Ince was telling players not to run past the halfway line we had Barkus and getting dragged back from running past the halfway line because he was being too offensive and you've got Tom Ince getting held back by Barry Ferguson at the end of the game trying to get into the stands to, to scrap a fan who was giving him abuse I think there's about 90 fans there that day if that so that's my overriding memory of Barnsley being in the freezing cold January the 18th and the weather was crap and Paul Ince came because obviously where the players go in back into the ground it's it's next to the where the away supporters are so they were all walking in and that was the last time we saw Paul Ince in the dugout so probably the greatest memory in Blackpool Football Club history but I never <laughs> had to see Paul Ince on the sideline ever again. Well, uh, Alan, we'll come to yours but um, Stephen's added in the chat we've both won and lost 6-0 against Barnsley before. Um, that's an interesting stat for the head-to-heads. Uh, and then Josh has put Paul Lentz's career started and ended against Barnsley then. Um, he's pretty sure his first game was at Barnsley at Bloomers as well. Um, Alan, any any fond memories f- f- for the Barnsley <coughs> side against the pool? I'm just going to the last one we played there when McGeehan scored and we played it on that uh, sandy pitch. I hope your pitch was better this, this, this Saturday than what it was the last time we played because there were more sand-up pitch than grass. Do you know what? I don't even remember that game. It just shows you how much we cared, I think. But yeah, no, I think head to head, you've got the better of us. I think Blackpool won 32, drawn 25, and Barnsley won 46. Um, so yeah, it's, you've got the better of us on the head to heads. Um, and obviously, with your players coming back, it's going to make it a very um, interesting match to see starts for you as well. But Sean, you've got some sort of stats you wanted to go through. Did you want me to get the picture up now? Uh, yeah, you can do. Yeah, I was just, uh, I was bored today. So I was on shift. So I, I had a look on Y Scout and had a look at Barnsley and ourselves as well. Um, and I was, in terms of obviously, you were saying about your chance creation, Barnsley have got one of the uh, second lowest expected goal stats in the division. So in terms of chance creation, it's it's really at a low level. Only Nottingham Forest have had worse than that this season. Um, but also in terms of conceded goals, um, you've conceded 13.9 expected goals, which is you've only actually conceded nine goals. So the amount of chances you're giving up is a lot more than you're actually conceding. So it may be a case that perhaps it will get a little bit worse before it gets better if the if the trend is anything to go by. Um, and you've conceded the most open play XG in the division as well, uh, on a par with Peterborough. So in terms of in terms of Barnsley's 
sort of chance creation and chance concession, I think we've kind of got a lot to look forward to positively if we're able to play on the front foot like we did against Fulham and we did against Bournemouth. Um, And obviously for the second half against Middlesbrough, if we actually come out of the blocks for once and start well, I think we've got a good chance of being able to create some chances. Um, And then obviously we were talking earlier about Valerian Ishmael's time in charge, obviously known for being such an aggressive, high-pressing team. Um, That seems to have continued in terms of the the pressing style of play, perhaps, as you were saying before, not as direct. Um, I think the stats kind of back that up. Um, Barnsley's uh, passes per defensive action is 9.2 which is joint best with West Brom so passes per defensive action is how many passes the opposition get before Barnsley then engage them in a tackle or engage them with the press um, that's at the be- that's at the top of the division with West Brom so looking in comparison to Blackpool we allow the opposition 13.3 passes per defensive action compared to Barnsley's 9.2 so if we think about how we feel we're quite an aggressive pressing side, Barnsley are much of a higher tempo side in terms of being off there off the ball play. So it's something to look out for. It's going to be a hard test for us and we need to really be tight in possession on the ball. We can't be as sloppy as we were against Middlesbrough in that first half or we, the game could get away from us before it's even started, to be honest. Sorry, test, as a testament to, to Barnsley's recruitment as well, like another manager in that's not too well known um, and they've carried on the same premise, as you say, and um, of the previous previous owner. And obviously, um, Ismail has gone there to West Brom and continued what he was doing well at Barnsley as well. So every credit to Barnsley's recruitment there in terms of the way they want to play as a club. It is. It's down to the spreadsheet, what they what the sort out, and that were all Bart and Basel, uh, uh, as, as previous owner uh, and, and his son, who, who went on that method. And we've got a, a recruitment team. Uh, and it seems to be working. I, I mean, a lot of fans are not happy with it. Uh, as you would expect, you know, they probably want a, a British English coach rather than uh, what we last one we had with Paul Eckingbottom. And then we've had uh, Jose Marais, uh, Daniel Stendel, Struber, uh, Ismail, and now, and now Shop. Uh, and nobody in Bars had ever heard of these last five managers who, who, who they've recruited. Uh, we've had success. The only one we haven't had success with was Marais, who got us uh, relegated when he took over. Uh, uh, against Derby County uh, and got us into League One. I think most, most, most of all, we've got to give them time. We've got to understand them and, and look at their style of play. And it, it is, it's a big change this season and the style of play they've been playing on, on the last couple of managers. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it is interesting. Um, I don't know what Tim's thoughts on, on this are in terms of obviously we're talking about that progressive model and a lot of the time fans, especially when it's, I know the owners are American group that have owned a couple of teams abroad as well. So they, they own Nancy in France, who I think Daniel Stendhal manages now and he might be on the verge of a sack actually, because I don't think he's won a game this season. No, um, he, he owns, they own Ostend as well in Belgium, who have been a really good club at finding these types of players, um, younger players and bringing them in and they fit the system. And it's, it's the data route. And I know that, Blackpool, I went to Simon Sadler's open discussion he had with the select group of fans when he first came through the door. And mm. data was a massive, massive reason why he'd come into football and he wanted to implement this sort of thing. And Ben Mansford's of that ilk as well. And I just think, how is it for, for fans that don't particularly buy into this kind of thing? Do you think that it's going to become 
sort of the norm that fans just have to get on board with this kind of thing? Or do you think that you can still be successful with sort of the older structures of, of, of running a football club? Well, we prove we can do that from last season, don't we? With no fans in last season, look where we ended up. Got into playoffs and just short of getting into playoff final and to try and get back into premiership. We weren't ready for that, I'll say that now. If we'd have gone into playoff final and got into premiership, it wouldn't have been uh, pleasant watching because uh, we wouldn't have recruited a, a hell of a lot of players. Uh, so it's a good job, at, in my opinion, that we stayed in championship uh, and starting to not rebuild a squad, uh, but change the methodology uh, of what the manager wants. And the players are going to take time to understand what their new roles are. I mean, against Blackburn, we've got several players playing out of position. And, and, and for me... That's not right. It, it, it's tough. You can't. You've got to have. You can't put square holes in round square pegs in round yeah. round holes. <laughs> you know, it, you can't do that. You're asking for disaster. And so, luckily enough, we we got the point against Blackburn. But both sides on Saturday did have played another ninety minutes once to score a goal. That's how poor both sides were for me on on Saturday. Absolutely. Right, Alan, we're going to go to say good evening to you and thank you so much for coming on because we're going to go talk Blackpool next and, and do our predicted lineup. So there won't be much contribution from yourself. So I'll let you go enjoy the rest of your evening. Fingers, okay. crossed, fingers crossed there's a good game uh, Saturday and safe travel um, to, to the match and back as well. Thank you so much for coming on. Okay. Now thank you, Alan. Cheers, thank you. Did you want to continue with your um, stats for the Blackpool side, or do you want to? Yes, you wanna yeah, no, we can quick, quickly delve into the to the Blackpool side of things. I was just going to mention as well. Um, I was saying before how Barnsley have conceded a lot more chances than the actual goals that they've, they've conceded themselves, and that they kind of, if they carry on in that vein, then they're probably going to concede more goals than they have been doing. Um, a lot of that seems to be down to Bradley Collins in net, who statistically is the best keeper in the division this season so far. Um, so in terms of goals prevented, he's faced 13.5 expected goals on target. So that's after the expected goals themselves in terms of the actual shots that have hit the net, um, hit target, sorry. Um, and he's only conceded nine goals. So he's basically statistically prevented 4.5 goals so far this season already in terms of shots that have actually hit the target. Um, Maxwell's quite high up with that as well, just in comparison. So he's prevented two goals this season. So he's sixth best statistically in the division as a goalkeeper. And obviously it's hard to define goalkeepers in terms of statistical metrics, but um, with both of those, you can see already and over a prolonged period of time, they've both been, Maxwell was statistically the second best goalkeeper in League One last season, the sixth this season so far in the championship. And Collins himself as well has been high up last season and this season as well. He's the highest in the division. So it's two really good goalkeepers on show um, on Saturday. So that'll be interesting to see because I feel like both sides are capable of giving up chances. So it's a case of it could well be a nil-nil that's got a lot of chances on target, but it's just simply that the goalkeepers are that good that it ends up staying as a stalemate. Um, I was going to mention as well in terms of um, Keshi Anderson's performance at the moment, obviously we're talking about how well he's played recently. And we look. We don't particularly look to him as someone who drives us up the pitch like Josh Bowler does in terms of carrying the ball forward into dangerous areas. But he's actually got the same amount of progressive carries now as Bowler per 90 minutes. So it's 15 per 90 minutes. So it shows that 
as much as we think that Josh Bowler brings the ball forward on the right-hand side, at the left-hand side in recent matches in particular, Keshi's been doing similar and it kind of shows that he can work in that position as long as he starts to, we start to be able to bring the ball in narrow. And I think it showed in the second half against Middlesbrough when Garbutt's able to get the leg room to get out wide and overlap and support him. Keshi really comes into his own off that left flank, being able to cut inside and drift into the middle position. So... That's another thing to look out for. But in terms of the final ball in that sense, Bowler's created 14 chances off the back of those carries this season, whereas Keshi's only created seven. So when you look at the quality, when it comes to the final third, Bowler's kind of, as when he's carried the ball, he then is able to let off uh, a chance. So in terms of Keshi's play, he tends to get into those positions and then perhaps the defence have, have been able to get back into their structure and he's had to recycle the ball in midfield. But it seems like Bowler's the one that's been able to provide the cutting edge in that, that system. But it's just something to look at and it's quite do, interesting. Do you think, uh, to be honest, that was really, we, we mentioned it on the post-match pod uh, it was really noticeable on Saturday that, that, that when Keshi's on, he's driving the ball forward. Yeah. Well, I wonder whether that stats partially affects the fact that Keshi's coming inside, isn't he? While Bowler will tend to go outside, won't he? And more likely to get a cross in or something. Yeah, because when you look at the the actual metres that they've carried the ball, it's it's 12.5 on average for Josh Bowler, which is the second highest in the division behind Chris Willock for QPR, who's a similar type of player to Bowler, gets out wide, gets to the byline. Um, whereas obviously when you're looking at Keshi, it's only seven metres. So it's kind of, as you say, he's, he's kind of drifting the ball into the middle and being able to open up space out wide for the fullbacks to exploit. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the lineup literally next. But one thing I was going to ask you, Tim, is they are two different types of players. Now, this is not a being forced as in the negative, but Keshi's being forced to play out wide because that's the system Critchley wants to play. Um, Bowler is a different type of player for me. He would be more successful carrying the ball forward just due to the fact that that's what he likes to do. Whereas Keshi, kind of like Yates, kind of will drop back, try to pick up the ball and then drive it forward. Not always successfully, but he won't have that, as you say, success of driving down the outside as well. So I was going to just put it to, to, to the room, but I'll come to you first, Tim. Do you think... Keshi is more effective in that 10 or do you think is now starting to fit the system more than his favourite position and have a much more success out wide now? Well, I think I, I was one of the ones who said perhaps three or four games ago that I think actually, although I, retract, as came, I retracted it a bit, I said playing Keshi out left, he's wasted him. Um, but he did. He was still putting a shift in and that, that was my qualification at the time. But I sort of take your point. I think the last two or three games we've seen him have a lot more influence on on the game. And we've also noticed when he's not played. So when he hasn't played, we've looked a far poorer side than when he has. And um, yeah. and he was one of, he, he for me was one of the stars of that second half on, on Saturday. And um, I think, I think, you know, he's, he's, he's pretty much at the moment, at least while he keeps performing like that, he's, he's nailed on as a starter, but I think it is going to be on that left-hand side because, um, with the players we've now got in the middle, I can't at the moment see too many games where we're going to play a, a straight number ten in the in the way that he would really thrive. And I think if he's doing it, he would always do it better with Yates anyway. And and obviously with Yates sort of slightly off off form at the moment, I think there's a less of a chance that he's going to be starting. Yeah, I agree. I think he's one of my first starters, if not alongside Marv Marvin Anderson at the moment. Uh, the two of my players, which are which are just I expect to be on the team sheet, and like you say, against Huddersfield, we were diabolical in that midfield. Part of the fact that not not necessarily just because Keshi didn't start, but a few players are off that evening. But you, like you said, you certainly notice it, um, and I appreciate Critchley's probably just managing his fitness. Uh, but we'll come on to the starting eleven. Um, I'm going to try and share my screen, and we can do this and talk over it. 
So I'm not might be as fluid as John, but it says plain orange shirt. Can you all see that all right? I was just going to say while you're loading that up, um, obviously we've been discussing different formations for different teams and the Huddersfield game kind of really shone through that when a team plays a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2, we should probably switch into a back three ourselves in terms of getting an extra body in midfield or even a 4-2-3-1 where you're able to get an extra body into midfield. So I don't know what, Tim, your thoughts are about a formation, but Barnsley play, well, they did play at least in the last game, the last couple of games, a 3-4-2-1. So they play a back three and they have two wide inside forwards rather than wingers um, and they're able to get their full backs high but they tend to have if we were to play the formation we played against Middlesbrough then they would probably have an extra body in the centre of the park compared to us so I don't know what your thoughts are on potential well we, we, we've, we've, we've seen from the from the Huddersfield game isn't it you know the, you know a team that 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 half knows what they're doing if they if they get that extra man in midfield we really really start to struggle and um, I think the only way that we can realistically counter that is if we um, if we have Stuart playing and, and Stuart sits deep and then that's the, those two fullbacks push on. Otherwise, I think you're right. I think we've got to look at, do you put that extra man in there? We all agreed that, I spoke to Sean previously, that we'll probably go 4-4-2. I think, because this is the thing, it's like if we're going to go off our own thoughts, I think I would probably go 4-2-3-1 and drop a striker. Um, just to be able to get that continuity in midfield and be able to have an element of control on the ball in midfield because as much as obviously we've got quite a good attacking intent when we're at it, I think the Huddersfield game showed that you won't get the chance to really show that if you're constantly getting overrun through the middle. So I don't know what Tim's sports are, but I would probably drop a striker for this game and be able to put Keshi in the 10. But I think it all depends on if whether Mitchell's fit. I don't think he's going to do that though. <laughs> so um, no, I think no. we're more likely to be closer to the right formation if we stick with this four four two, because I'm I'm fairly convinced that that that's the that's the uh, that's the way we're going to um, the shape we're going to start with. Whoever you whoever you um, whoever the personnel are, that is going that is going to be it. I, I, I'm yeah. a great advocate, by the way, and uh, uh, I, I would like to because I just think it suits our fullbacks if we've got three at the back. But yeah, I, I, um, shared, I shared my five three two. We we do drop polar. I think that suits our, our style of play a lot, a lot more, and I think we'll become a lot more attacking and defensively reassured. But he seems to go go for this four four two, so we'll, we'll stick with this. But who, who's your centre back partnerships, Tim? I'll start. I was going to say, um, we're actually Sorry. got Grimshaw in, in goal, aren't we, Tom? I don't know why you presume that Maxwell's starting. That's a, that's a poor decision. <laughs> that's my contribution, man. I can't get I can't get penalties <laughs> if I just. <laughs> I think uh, I think uh, I think bearing in mind uh, their contribution last Saturday and you know we've spoken actually uh, we didn't think we were doing this um, after Coventry um, in quite glowing terms as to the way Keogh's playing I think you you can't look further than Keogh and Ekpateta in relation to the centre-back partnership for me I just don't see him changing that at all yeah I think it'd be silly to to drop Keogh out when he's playing his best football for us and it seems like it's working the balance of that partnership (laughs) King Keogh uh, the balance of that partnership, I think, is important as well, especially in a division like this. You don't want to keep swapping and changing centre-half partners as much as we did in League One. I think you can kind of get away with it in League One, but I think you kind of get caught out because it's such fine margins at the back. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. It's um, proper, not not weird in a way, but Connolly's red card has is, is done him out completely, really, isn't he? Because the moment we signed two right-backs, he's been sent off, he's not been back. And, and therefore hasn't been back in the starting lineup. Which and defensively, arguably, we we have been a lot better. And we don't know how he's going to play, obviously, because he's not a natural natural right back, and we don't know how he's going to play at centre back. But Keo has just all of a sudden stepped up that Millwall game kind of 
we realised how good he can be at defending. And from there on in, he hasn't actually done much wrong, if anything at all, apart from the the mess up at Fulham, which luckily didn't have an effect on the on the end result. So I think he's it's his able his ability to progress the ball into the midfield as well is really important. When you've got two centre midfielders, you can't have two static centre halves or two centre halves that don't tend to be as expansive with the ball. Obviously, yeah. Marv can get forward if he wants to, but I think he's good enough to just progress the ball outside and recycle it and then just be the man that's there as a last-ditch defender because he's good enough to do that. I think last season we said that with with Ballard, he was the he had the ability to, he For knew sure. that he could drop five yards back and be that last man tackle because he's got the ability to do it, whereas other defenders didn't trust themselves. And I think Marv's grown that confidence and he's able to perform that role. So that's where that's yeah, important. I as think well. Huddersfield, we noticed, I know we were... We're three 0 down, regardless. So he kind of just did it anyway. But I noticed it definitely at Middlesbrough being there as well. Um, that Marv's, like you say, sat there and Keo just used his experience to bring that ball forward and, and bring players into play. Yes, he turned back on himself, but rather than losing the ball and playing a hero ball or putting us into danger, he just played a simple pass back. And this is exactly what we need at this level. Um, Tim, I'll give you the mental of putting a right back in. Um, I think it's got to be um, uh, uh, Gabriel. I think um, uh, I'm not sure that Sterling did quite enough um, to keep his keep his spot, but it's a close one. I think that's probably one of the positions that's that's most up for grabs. I think, um, um, but I think I think I'd just about <coughs> go with Jordan. Um, I think he probably thought Jordan played too much football over the course of the last two weeks, which is why he's given Sterling a start. I thought Sterling had a sl- very, very sluggish first half, but did improve in the second. It, yeah, it was not been the second half. I, I, the reason I was so frustrated, I appreciate it, I was half cut as well. And Tim, feel free to quote me on what I said at half time. But at some <laughs> points, he was literally up front against Borough. That is no exaggeration. He put himself where the forwards were. So every time they caught us on the counter, that, that side was just completely lopsided and it just it was very frustrating. But as you say, second half, he must have had something said to him because he was much better. Um it's interesting with that because that's how Gabriel started his loan spell, if if you remember. It's a positional sense. I don't know what it is with young players coming through an academy. Oh, but I don't think they don't seem to yeah. be coached positional sense because Gabriel was caught out time and time again in terms of his positioning and Sterling seems to be the same, but I mean, all the attributes are there for Sterling to be able to compete for that long term. But uh, Gabriel's got the quality, and we know that we know what Gabriel can do. So you'd, you'd trust him to be able to put in a performance. Um, Sean, I'll stay with you for, for the left back position. Yeah, Garber. I, th- I think he was. He's been our one of our best players in the past couple of weeks. I know he gets a lot of stick sometimes in terms of his his quality. Sometimes at set pieces, in particular. Um, but I think he's so good at progressing the ball forward from the left-hand side. And I think he's starting to build a partnership with Keshi in that position. Keshi knows a lot. Uh, he's kind of getting to the grips of where he should drift at the right moments. And Keshi and him open up space for each other really, really well, particularly in that second half again against Middlesbrough. And then obviously in, in games prior in, in the Fulham game as well, it's, that's what you want. You're just building up partnerships and you kind of want to stick with these partnerships that are forming now to try and get a run of games going where we, we're not getting blown away in games before it's too late and we're actually starting on the front foot because apart from Fulham, I don't think we've we've started on the front foot very well this season, which was a common theme of last season as well. So being able to stick with those partnerships is important. Absolutely. Are you in agreement there, Tim? No, no, 100%. One of the easiest choices. That's why I think playing a back three, like you say, Tim, is much more effective for Garbert as well. But it's certainly learning in that four four two. Um as we just picked him up so much, Keshi on the left. Yep. Yeah, that's a nailed that's a nailed on that. 
I think I think again he's going to be. I, I think I've said it in the past before, and I think he's. I, I just love him. I think he's great. He's a perfect player that I like to watch. I think he's going to be one of, if not the best player this season for me. I think I think it's been mentioned in the chat um, whether Mitchell's got a shout, but I don't. I think he he played in the Lancashire Cup match, didn't he? Um, the other day against Fleetwood. Yeah, but um, I don't see him being it, parachuted in to start the game, particularly bearing in mind how well Keshi played on Saturday in the second half. Um, I, just, I just, yeah, I think it's spot on. Obviously, he was. He was phenomenal, and it, the the great thing about that game was not only did we play really well, Kerry was a shining light, and it, it was good to see Mitchell was really sharp as well. Considering the injury he's had, he was he was spot on. I appreciate the the opposition wasn't as good, but you can still look sharp and and match ready. And I think he'll be the sort of player who can come on if we were to change systems. If Polo got dropped, etc., we're going to have really good you know options off the bench as well. So I think. It's a, it's a perfect solution is to have him on the bench ready to come on if we're struggling. Yeah, I was just, I was just going to say with that because like we've got Bowler there and he bowlers that sort of special player that will just drive at teams regardless of the position that they're in. And if you're able to bring someone off the bench of similar ilk in Mitchell, I think it'd be silly to sort of waste them both in in the yeah. game themselves when you can bring them on against tired legs with thirty to go. It gives us it gives us an outball. We'd struggle for an outball at the end of games, and I think that Mitchell. Having Mitchell there is able someone who's able to drive the ball forward if Bowler does get tired, and it gives us a chance to rest Bowler and rotate Bowler as well and use him effectively because we can't just, as I said, I've said a couple of weeks ago, wingers are probably the most inconsistent in terms of any position. There's going to be bound to be a time where a Bowler will have a couple of games in a row where he's not quite at it, and having someone that you can bring in is is really important. No, I think you're spot on there. Um, so the two central midfielders for me, I'll, I'll give the easy one is is Winter. I think since he started. I can't actually believe that the step up is made. I appreciate he was very good at crew, but uh, what game was at Fulham? He just looked absolutely exceptional. Huddersfield, he didn't do much wrong. I don't think he was helped by Dougal. And again, at Middlesbrough, again, I think he looked very comfortable. I'm sure you agree, Tim, but he, you know, he, he he's a starter for me at the moment and we haven't got many centre midfielders and we can't rely on Stuart to start. So I think the two centre midfielders pick themselves, but every... Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think, um, I, know, um, I don't know where Stuart's exactly up to. I've not really been keeping a, that much a close eye on it this week, but um, even, if, even if he's back in, in contention, I don't see him starting. I think he'll, he'll, uh, he'll blood him in the second half if he's fit enough and if he isn't, then he'll leave him on the bench or even if he's named, I don't know. Yeah, to, I think Dougal was much better Saturday, don't you agree, Tim? I think after the second, second game, half, I think we, I think we saw we saw Dougal maybe not quite at his best, but very close to his best in the second half. He was um, he, he was uh, he was breaking the play up and um, and doing what he does best, which is making sure that we keep possession and finding feet for those who can drive it forward. So um, yeah, I was quite pleased. You know, I've always been a bit of a fan of his, and it's a bit. Concerning when he's had he's had quite a few off games, hasn't he? To be fair, um, yeah. the, the first um, few games this season, so it's good to see him. Approach. We need him. We need him to be performing week in week out for us because uh, the reality well, is he's he's more likely to play forty games than Stuart is without without a shadow of a doubt. Well, Stuart's been back for one now. He's not in the squad, so is we've left we're left with two semi midfielders at the moment. So mm-hmm. hopefully we can dip into the free market and pick up something because God forbid one of those gets injured or sent off. So. Uh, Sean, dare you pick the right midfielder? <laughs> yeah. Let's switch to a back three and drop him again. 
No, you've got uh, Josh Bowler in it. It's, obviously, we know how good he is. And I was talking before about how he carries the ball and drags us up the pitch because we're going to need that because of how aggressive Barnsley are off the ball. You're going to need an out ball and an outlet for the centre-halves because they're going to be under a lot of pressure. Um, so Bowler's the perfect guy to be able to do that. Tim, does Yates come back in contention or do you go with someone different up front? Um, I think John Jules needs to a week out. Um, I think... Um, uh, Critchley's um, stuck by him in recent weeks, hasn't he? Where he's not necessarily had great performances, and um, you know uh, we we dropped our last year's talisman, uh, and I think I think you might get reaction off Yates if he does start on Saturday. And I know there's a few people say that him and um, and Lavery can't play together, uh, but I would I would for this game I would. Um, not sure Medine's quite ready to start, and that, and indeed that it's appropriate to start him. Um, I think you look at that forward line there, and and um, you know, we, we can we can cause their centre back some problems. I think um, uh, so. Yeah, for me, Yates comes back in. Yeah, um, I was just going to say it's not. This isn't Medine's game. It's a high energy game against Barnsley. Both teams are going to be pressing. I mean, I I think one of the underrated performances of Jerry Yates was MK Don's away last season, and that was all about this type of game off the ball work, finding his moment, picking his moment when he needs to. And as much as obviously he's not had a great start to the season. In terms of the complete forward, he's he's our best our best outlet. So, yeah, definitely start Jerry. Yeah, I agree with that as well. And that last slot going for Lavery, I would. Yeah, with that, I yeah. would. Yeah. Uh, obviously, like I was saying before, um, he does take a couple of chances to be able to score, but because of the amount of chances he's able to create, it doesn't matter anyway because he may take two or three shots before he actually scores one. But because of the positions he gets into, because of his ability to get in behind defences, he's going to score double figures anyway. So he's a, he's your goal scorer this season. And Yates is going to be more of the deeper lying forward, trying to link up play with with Keshi. And, and, and as you've said as well, that type of game where we need energy and not someone who's going to float on the pitch, not add that pressure because they're certainly going to be pressurising us. So we've got to force them into mistakes a lot quicker than they force us into mistakes. Otherwise, it will be one of those types of games, I hate to say it, not going to give my score prediction but Huddersfield I had that England that they're just such an experienced championship side that if we're not up to the races they're just going to find it very easy and Saturday can be one of those games where they could they could score two or three or it could be one of those games if we're on it where where we could be on you know the right side of a two or three nil win as well so it's about how we play like we did against Fulham if I mean the one thing we've learned with Critchley is that he's unpredictable in relation to his selection um, I don't know why I'm tempting fate, but I think this is the first time I've actually thought I could sort of second guess what he's going to do. But that he could probably tells me there's probably one or two in there that won't be as we think. And I would have said that if 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 there are if there are any changes, it will it will be it, it will be on the the forward or or for me on the on the right hand side of 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 the um, right hand side of the pitch. I think that's where if we've got it wrong, that's where we'll have we'll have we'll have miscalled it. Um, I think the left hand side. The centre and um, uh, the centre backs and centre midfield are picking themselves. I was just going to say with that, I think I, I don't know. I have a feeling that he, as much as obviously wanting to drop, there could be a chance that he does play uh, John Jules because his best performance was against Fulham, and it was off the ball work that was vitally important in that game. And and he forced a, a couple of chances there with high turnovers that we should have converted into goals. So. Um, he, he may well start. I, don't, I wouldn't, and I don't think he will. But it may be if he's if there's going to be a surprise. I think it could be that John Jules keeps his place. Well, we'll see. He needs a reaction after that miss as well because that was a sitter. 
Um, but luckily we still won the game. But that is it for this evening, gents. Uh, I'd like to say first and foremost, Tim, thank you for coming on. Thanks very much. You enjoyed it. And Sean, as ever present this season on the preview show, thank you as well. Yeah, no worries. Uh, there'll be a match reaction, I assume, sort of Sunday or Monday, depending on when we get our heads together. But from, from all us, hopefully for three points on Saturday. And all there's left to say is up the pool. The pool. Cool. So just before you head off, I'd just like to bring your attention to a Patreon support program that we are running. This enables you to just contribute a small monthly amount to help support our show and support our content. So if you head over to patreon.com forward slash seasiderspod, you'll find details of how to sign up. It's about £3.50 per month, price of a pint, and for that you get a few other bits in return, which is access to our private members whatsapp group you'll get some exclusive podcasts competitions so we generally run match pass draws for our patrons and just other random bits and pieces as they come in and we are going to be running an extra time podcast which is going to be an exclusive podcast just for patrons so if you want to sign up patreon.com forward slash seasiders pod it'd be great to have you on board thanks for listening